1: Welcome to Escaping Society, Episode 20, The Peace Pilgrim. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And I have a cold. Um, We are at a rest stop right on the side of Honey Lake in California. And uh, we wanted to talk this episode about Peace Pilgrim. And I learned about Peace Pilgrim from a book that Gumby got for me on my birthday the first year we were together. Oh, that really? I'd forgotten that. 2017, I believe. Um, Gumby actually got the book off of Amazon probably for a reasonable price. You can find like all the stuff that we're going to talk about today, all the source materials, like documentaries, the entire like 200-something page book, as well as Peace Pilgrim's own pamphlet on the uh, Friends of Peace Pilgrim website. We'll try to link that on our uh, Facebook page. But a little bit about Peace Pilgrim, we don't want to focus too much on the, the life before she became Peace Pilgrim, but I thought it was kind of interesting, um, just a few of the details. And why don't we want to focus on that? Well, I guess, I mean, the episode is the Peace Pilgrim, not the woman before the Peace Pilgrim. I'm not sure exactly what you're getting
0: at. Sorry, I was asking you a leading question. I hate it when people do that to me. (laughs) But one of the things we talked about while we don't want to focus on Mm -hmm. that is because we want to honor her, and she didn't want to focus on that. So Mm. when people asked her what her name was or anything about her history before Peace Pilgrim, she would shrug it off. So I think it's a good way to honor this woman. Um, who has so thoroughly escaped society to try to um, be true to that. But this information, if you're curious of what her name was and everything, is easily findable, as we found out.
1: And it's kind of, like, to me, yes, I I definitely want to honor her, but it's also, like, it makes her more, even more, like, personable or something. I, I love what I read about her before I knew all this, and then, like, watching some documentaries and reading a little bit more I don't know, I just, it makes me like her even more because I I think I understand a little bit more about how she became Peace Pilgrim. So she was born in 1908 in New Jersey, and she grew up on a farm that was surrounded by like woods and a creek and room to grow, as she would say. And in her earlier life, uh, her siblings, they kind of referred to her as like a tomboy or a daredevil. Um, She would go to the creek and not just their creek but she would go to the river and like dive off of the bridge so she was she was pretty cool for those days and, and climbing trees out yeah. climbing the boys And she, uh, in her teenage years, she loved to dress up and pose for pictures. She was like a flapper and she dressed up in some pictures as a gypsy with like a tambourine and everything. And she had many quote boyfriends, but they weren't really like steady boyfriends. They would just take her out
0: dancing, which she loved to do. And one of the things I liked, uh, you mentioned the year she was born. Uh, we saw in one of her interviews where somebody asked her about her age, and she's like, you know, I have spent so much effort trying to forget my age that it has ha- finally happened. I am ageless. I don't know when I was born, and I don't know how old I am. So that's just, like, another thing to me that really speaks to what this woman was about.
1: <laughs> so she uh, she actually was married for a very brief time. She had met her husband who was younger than her, Um I think when she was out dancing, but it didn't work out. He uh, wanted to enlist for the war, and she wanted him to be a conscientious objector. And he told his army sergeant that, and he was like, well, that's grounds for a divorce. So um, they got a divorce. And her husband, for that very brief time, he wanted he wanted Peace Pilgrim, or the woman who was before Peace Pilgrim, to be more of a homemaker. And she just wasn't that. Um, But right on for her for being true to herself, because I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, and uh, after this divorce, you know, we saw interviews with her ex-husband, of course now a very old man, and he mentioned she shed a few tears. Um, So obviously it upset her, and I I can imagine, like, at this time— we saw an interview with her niece, and she said, yeah, we were always hearing stories about crazy Aunt Mildred. Damn, there's the name, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, tell them about the, uh...
0: Oh, I'm going to. Oh, okay. And, uh, <laughs> so, she did all this crazy shit. Like, she was so ahead of her time. Like, I guess this must have been the 30s or 40s, I'm assuming. No, Maybe I think the...
1: earlier than that, hun.
0: Yeah, but early. So she's like part of this peace campaign when, you know, the world wars are in like full swing. She's like a nudist for part of the time. Like, you know, mentioned to her family at one time, like, do you mind if I just lay out in the yard and get some sun naked? And they're like, oh my God, you know, you know crazy Aunt Mildred. Um, but in the middle of all this, you know, she gets this divorce. She's kind of trying to find her way, but she's very strong in herself. There's this light, this like dedicated light I think already burning in her that people can see like she seems so set on her course but she hasn't found her way yet so she talks about this beautiful moment where she's taking this long walk through the woods one night and she talks about the moonlight and she just decides I need to find what to do with my life I feel so full of something and I don't know where to channel it so I'm just going to keep walking until I get the answer and she walks all night, just walks through the woods, follows the trails, walks and walks, until I would imagine it's, you know, I'm thinking of the Buddha out there meditating until the very morning when he sees the morning star. So I would imagine right before dawn, you know, walking all night, and she comes to this, this opening in the forest, this glade, and it's filled with moonlight. And she just, I, I don't want to misquote her, but it's something to the effect of like, use me, use me. I, w- I want to give everything I've got, you know, use me. And she's just saying that up to the heavens, to God, to whatever, whatever that energy is. And that's when she gets filled, first filled with this feeling that launches her on this passive path of being the peace pilgrim.
1: And she joined a peace campaign. I think it was either before or during the Korean War. Um, she was from New Jersey, but she moved or went to Philadelphia to be a part of this peace campaign.
0: Oh, I think it was before, because she took off to be the Peace Pilgrim when the Korean War was...
1: I see, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So, um, there was a lot of, like, war in the air, though, like, after World War II and, and leading up to the Korean War. God, when hasn't there been? Yeah. Well, she met this guy by the name of Dick Lamb, and he became her partner on the Appalachian Trail
0: one of many, apparently she was like described as bringing home strays as she's hiking, you know, (laughs) just different guys she'd meet. And it's not like, I didn't get the feeling from what people were saying that she was necessarily a floozy. Like she was having romantic relationships with all these guys. She just was not inhibited. You know, she didn't care what people thought she made friends and like, all right, I'm going to treat you like a friend.
1: Yeah. But, um, Dick Lamb was like, I think the, the guy that, walked with her on the AT, like, yeah, they were the, most. The, the partners, and then, you know, like, just if you were to pick up hitchhikers on the AT, kind of like that, but just, like, without the car.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, and this is something that I actually, uh, You see on Facebook, there's this woman, what's her name? Grandma Gatewood. Grandma Gatewood. She was credited with being the first woman to walk the Appalachian Trail, but that's one of those many things that pop up on Facebook that aren't exactly true. You know, taking nothing away from Grandma Gatewood, I mean, right on to her. But it just happens that um, the woman who became Peace Pilgrim was actually the first woman to hike the Appalachian Trail, the full length of it. Um, Let's see. Reading through my notes here to make sure I don't miss anything. Yeah, so she was a single woman with a single man at this time, you know, which was scandalous. And so. I think they got tired of running into just people, you know, with their, their bad attitudes and their, their condescending looks about, oh, God, you know, what are what are these people doing? So they started introducing themselves as, what was it, Dick Wood and Mildred? <laughs> it
1: was... No, Dick Lamb, not,
0: not Dick Wood, not Dickwood.
1: I think that's a town somewhere we passed through.
0: <laughs> Dick My name's Dick, Wood. <laughs> Dick
1: Dick Lamb and Mill.
0: And Mill. And, Mil, and, and they, they just let... let people assume what they wanted to, you know, that they were a married couple. Um, And this was in 1952, if you're keeping up with the years here. Which was the year that they completed the Appalachian Trail. Um, And were you going to talk more, or should we cover it now, about what she took?
1: Yeah, go ahead. This was, and I'll do the food.
0: Yeah, so on the Appalachian trails, like, she wasn't just hiking it like we do nowadays. And anybody who's hiked any section of this knows that even with all this REI gear, it's challenging. You know, it's a challenge to hike that. But she was carrying one pair of slacks and shorts, one blouse, one sweater, a lightweight blanket, two double plastic sheets, which she described as, like, if it got cold, she just filled these sheets with leaves and, like, kind of squish herself into the leaves. Hell yeah. And, yeah, so she sometimes used to stuff leaves in there. I mean, she was already, like, you can see kind of the seeds of what led to her pilgrimage there. She was testing herself, like, what can I get away with? And as Teresa and I have discovered, as we backpack, every time we get done with a trip, we kind of, you know, start asking ourselves, did we really need that? Like, there was that one thing we only used once, or maybe not at all. And here she was, the first woman to brave this, you know, at a time when it's just unprecedented. And taking that little bit, I mean, think about all your REI crap, your your sleeping bag, your expensive stuff, and <laughs> rewind this if you missed what I just said she brought. That's impressive. <laughs>
1: yeah, she was uh, probably considered an ultralight hiker. Um, they just didn't have that term in those days because they didn't have all the stores and all the crap quite yet. It was, it was building up, but not then. Um, food on the Appalachian Trail. This really interested me because... I often struggle as to what to bring when we're backpacking. So she, morning and evening, would eat two cups of uncooked oatmeal that was soaked in water and flavored with brown sugar. And then at noon would have two cups of double-strength dried milk plus any berries or nuts or greens that were found along the trail.
0: So apparently she wasn't eating any cooked food, so I don't even know if they ever had a fire.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't maybe it does in the book. I I haven't read the book um th- all the way through in a couple years, but again, I don't want to emphasize like the time before she was Peace Pilgrim, but just getting an idea of being out on the Appalachian Trail doing this really amazing experience with minimal stuff and starting to realize I think this is what I want to do. And then starting to realize like I don't think I need this stuff. I think I can get away with not having this stuff.
0: Yeah, when I really take a moment to picture her with these materials I just said and eating the way I just described, there's a philosophy like really taking root there of moving in the world without affecting it, without pushing it, without forcing its hand. Even a fire, you know, I love sitting next to a campfire. But I picture her not being around many fires, Um, and I could be way off about that, but it seems to fit with everything else. Like, she's not even burning wood, you know? She's just seeing, what can I get away with? What can I move through this forest and, like, not use up the forest, but just be here, be a force of good? And, uh, yeah, everything about this woman's life just impresses me because she's—I was inspired when I first— when I first wanted to, like, escape society when I was a kid— the way I pictured it, it looked a lot like what Peace Pilgrim did. What it ended up looking like was more like what Chris McCandless, Super Tramp, did. Um, so I'm just so impressed with how she took all these ideas and just went so freaking hardcore with everything, including <laughs> this Appalachian Trail and this philosophy that she, she evolved on it.
1: And I mean, maybe it was just the timing and history of we'll talk more a little bit more about that later, but maybe it was just the timing in history. Like maybe that couldn't happen quite the same way again because of all the material stuff that's out there now.
0: Oh, I would say that's true of everybody and everything at any time that yeah. we're all connected to the time we're in and the place we're in. So for her to be exactly what she was was Something that had to take root in that time and place. Not that she wouldn't have been great in another time and place, but it would have been a different kind of great. And so, yeah, this, this Appalachian Trail, we said we didn't want to talk too much of about, her, about her past and we're trying to move through this section pretty quick, but the Appalachian Trail seems very significant to me when I yeah. read about her history. It seems like, wow, this is where she really proved to herself. Holy crap, that was, you know, as she describes it, we saw her interviewed about it. She said, oh, there were challenges, but. You know, they were they were also part of this wonderful experience. So more than the minimalism, she was practicing um, a mindset, like getting control of her mind, finding the good even in the bad.
1: Mm. And there was an interview that Peace Pilgrim did right after her Appalachian Trail experience. And during the hike, she had a vision on the top of a mountain. And her vision showed her a path, across the United States um, that was, she just described it like somebody had taken a crayon or a colored marker or something and had made a zigzag across the United States map. And it turned out that's what her first pilgrimage was, maybe not exactly in the vision, but that's what she did. She zigzagged across the country. And she said in her vision, she was wearing uh, some sort of piece of clothing or something with the with the banner Peace Pilgrim. So that's what she saw. Um, in her vision during the Appalachian Trail. And then the very next year, 1953, is when she started her pilgrimage. Oh, our dog is misbehaving. Uh, Gumby, she wanted to talk about the name change.
0: Yeah, so we did a podcast a few episodes back called Super Tramp and we first talked about this. And here it is again, you know, this this changing of the name, and Chris McCandless, you know, he changed his name sort of the way I changed my name. We're, we're still attached somewhat to our the names that on our birth certificate. Um, Peace Pilgrim, she, as usual, as per her style, did it more outrageously, more thoroughly. She completely relinquished her former identity and became Peace Pilgrim. And again, there's the power of that, the power of a name change. And like Chris McCandless, I'm guessing, she seemed to pick her own name which uh, I find interesting because my name was given to me. And I find a lot of people who have nicknames that was given to them in some way. But her, she she picked her own name and she embodied it. She said, you know, who I was before doesn't matter. I am now the peace pilgrim. And I've heard it said in, gosh, every time I I hate bringing up like stuff that I learned from indigenous tribes because I'm so bad at remembering which indigenous tribe and I feel like I really do an injustice. But either from the Hopi or the Navajo, I think there was a teaching that um, you can become a message, that that's like a holy, sacred thing to do. Like if you're about something, if you have a a calling, like a a sacred um, thing that you bring, become the message of that. Relinquish everything else. You are the message. You don't carry the message. You are the message. And Peace Pilgrim, I think, really embodies that. She became the message of peace. All she wanted to do was talk about peace with people, embody peace, explore peace. And from her way of looking at things, it did not matter whatever, who she was before, her name, her age, anything. That was beside the point. Let's talk about peace.
1: And she said that her pilgrimage took 15 years of preparation. And We'll talk a little bit later about what those steps were, but I just found that fascinating too, because, you know, sometimes people might have a vision and they're just like, well, what, I mean, how am I going to do that? Like, well, <laughs> yeah, I want to do something, but I don't know if I can do it. And it, I feel like it's really important to remember that sometimes it does take time and it does take experiences like this Appalachian Trail, maybe in the 15 years leading up to her becoming Peace Pilgrim, she didn't know she was going to do the Appalachian Trail, but then everything just kind of fell into place. I don't know that, but I just have this, like, I kind of start to understand how people's lives work just by looking at the the things that have happened with Peace Pilgrim. And yeah, she, um, she shared a lot of that information of her preparation in Steps Toward Inner Peace, which is a pamphlet that she wrote.
0: So... After the Appalachian Trail, you know, let's talk about when she began her pilgrimage. Um, This was in 1953, and I like to think about the context of this. This woman who is so moved, who has already been involved in in peace campaigns, who is obviously a free thinker, she does what she wants. Um, She said in her earlier years that one of the things she started figuring out early on was that if something feels wrong, I don't want to do it. If something feels right, I want to do it. She said it wasn't easy. It took a long time for her, what was it, her life to catch up with her philosophy. Um, but that was something she realized early. You know, she talks about this story where her friends are smoking cigarettes and she wouldn't smoke and her friends are drinking and she wouldn't drink. And she tells them like, life is a series of choices and I choose to be free. She didn't want to involve herself in anything that might bog her down, might tra- trap her. Um, so here she is at the beginning of this pilgrimage, 1953, think about that time period. The Korean War is in full swing. People are are enlisting. Um, People are being brought over to Korea to once again murder each other at the behest of politicians who are sitting back home and finding ways to get rich and obviously are not going to fight this war, with a few exceptions, notable exceptions, which I've read about. Um, World War II is just ending. Um, It wasn't 10 or so years before this pilgrimage, that we dropped the only atom bombs that had been dropped on cities, two cities in Japan. Boom, an atom bomb, civilians, everybody just wiped out. Um, world War One, that got done. First World War, you know, that felt like, God, is this the end? The whole world is at war. And lo and behold, as soon as that settles down, it was <coughs> supposed to be the war to end all wars. Here's World War Two. it's happening again. And it's much worse. There's chemicals being introduced. There's new ways to kill people, horrific ways. You're hearing stories about the Holocaust, these horrible experiments done on Jews. And the people that don't even think they're involved in uh, in war and violence, they're benefiting from these experiments. A lot of our modern medicine and technology has a direct lineage back to World War II, the things we used to kill people. Now we find ways to... Uh, you know, use it in our agriculture and everything. This was the context of where this pilgrimage came out of. So during this Korean War, this this vision finally coalesced, finally crystallized in her, and she decided, I'm going to do it. She gets this tunic, this is Peace Pilgrim, and what was the first one? It was like 10,000...
1: 000... Well, she was saying like uh, walking for world disarmament. She didn't say anything about the miles yet, and then it was 10,000 oh, miles. Did. Well, then it... Then it said 10,000 miles for, I think, world disarmament or world peace. And then it was 25,000 miles for world peace.
0: Yeah, so, so when evolved. she started off, it was this this tunic and, you know, just a few things she kept with her, which I think we're going to talk about later. Um, and she walked 28 years. This was from 1953 to 1981. She crossed America seven times, including Canada and Mexico. Um, and there was, you know, her pilgrimage... She said it started off being pri- primarily about walking, and then towards the end it was uh, more about talking, more about sharing, and the walking was just something she did between the sharings. But consider that, 28 years, and she's already, you know, what, in her 1908, like 18, 28, 38, 48, she's in her 40s already, this woman, when she starts the pilgrimage. So just consider the implications of that, what it took to be a pilgrim for 28 years. Teresa? <clears throat>
1: <laughs> oh, so yeah, um, Gumby said she she went on and on these different crossings of America, and first it was about the walking, and then it was the speaking. And in later years, she decided it was more about the speaking than the walking because she had already gained such notoriety, but, I mean, she, she had already walked, like, over 25,000 miles. Um, and as she went, she just stopped counting the miles because... It wasn't about the miles. It was just about getting the message out there. And Gumby?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're trying to make do with another rest stop with a lot of uh, (laughs) distractions and stuff as usual being on the road. So we're reading Carlos Castaneda, and to me, this is tying into a lot of what I'm thinking about Peace Pilgrim because she's got all these stories, like this one guy at the beginning of her pilgrimage. It's raining, and he says, hey, you want to get in my car and take a nap? And so she crawls in the guy's car and sleeps, you know, just like a baby, just goes completely out. She's got complete faith. One of the, the descriptions of her was she was fearless. She had complete faith in what she was doing. And once she had that faith, she said there was no room to fear anything. She was taken care of. Um, so she goes to sleep in this guy's car. And when she wakes up, the guy's staring at her and looking kind of befuddled. And he admits to her, when I picked you up, I was planning on doing something to you. You know, I, I had bad intentions, but... I couldn't do it. And she's got story after story of that. I mean, just crazy stories like where she's in the middle of a snowfall in like the Midwest and walking and like she just wanders through the snow and finds a little like just the right thing, just enough to keep her alive um, and just keeps her attitude up. She's got complete faith. If, it, if she's going to die, she's ready to go. You know, she's given herself completely. But as it is, the universe kept her alive for 28 years on this pilgrimage. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. So in the terms of Carlos Castaneda, Don Juan teaches him about personal power. He says you've got to lead a really disciplined life. Don't leak your energy. For instance, he tells Carlos Castaneda, don't have sex. Don't masturbate. If you do, there's a cost. That's a way that we leak our energy. Don't live sloppily. Live very disciplined. Live a tight life. And what that does is it creates this personal power, something in our culture we might call luck, You know, where things just seem to start working out because she's leading this very disciplined, tight life. Um, I think without those terms, without her, you know, following the path of Carlos Castaneda or whatever, when I hear her talk about it, it sounds to me like personal power. It sounds like she just led such an austere, disciplined life that she built up personal power and just things would work out again and again and again. Um, she attributed it to God, uh, Don Juan describes personal power as being like a sentient thing. He also describes like fate and power picks people and who knows why power picks people. So I think those are just two terms for the same thing. Um,
1: oh, can I add something really quick? Of course. <clears throat> I was looking up what Peace Pilgrim's words were and she said, I have walked 25,000 miles as a penniless pilgrim. I own only what I wear and what I carry in my small pockets. I belong to no organization. I have said that I will walk until given shelter, fast until given food, remaining a wanderer until mankind has learned the way of peace. And I can truthfully tell you that without ever asking, I have been supplied with everything needed for my journey, which shows you how good people really are.
0: Yeah, and her faith, that's probably, to me, the most astounding thing and the most... uh inspiring thing. Like when I was a little kid and I wanted to hit the road, it looked a lot, like I said, like the way Peace Pilgrim did. And the thing that drew me was the idea of faith. What if I could just believe that everything that happened to me was meant to happen? You know, people talk about let go and let God. People talk about I'm a person of faith, but who the hell lives like they got faith? Most Christians I know that say that keep a gun in case somebody breaks into their house. And I'm thinking, how do you know the, the, the guy that broke into your house wasn't, wasn't sent by God? How do you know, like, if you're talking about God's plan, God's got a great plan. Do you know God has a plan? What the hell are you protecting your shit for? Maybe God's plan is that you get your stuff stolen. So it fascinates me when I, I hear about somebody who actually has faith. What a beautiful thing. And how the universe treats somebody with that kind of faith. Again and again, when I see somebody that actually has that kind of faith, they are so taken care of. And that, there's a whole... Level of reality we're not tapping into because we don't we're, we're frightened of it. She let go of fear to me, which was the, is the antithesis of faith. When you let go of fear, what's left? Faith. It's a lack of faith. That's what fear is. If you say you're afraid of something, you're saying you don't have faith in something else. Um, and with that faith came the minimalism. Now here's another thing I really respect, and I've talked at length about with people you know that are like. I think sort of a, a democratic liberal stance is we want to help the poor. You know, they, they have kind of taken up for themselves. They co-opted the idea of activism. Like, oh, you're an activist? Well, you're probably leaning more toward the left. You're, you're a Democrat liberal because we're the ones who care about the homeless. We're the ones who feed the homeless. We're the ones who take care of them. But that mindset is not a mindset of faith. It's a mindset of we still, we don't want to be homeless. We want to help the people from what's called the ivory tower. We want to give them a handout. We want to pass it down. But to me, the people that really inspire me are the people that said, that doesn't work. You've got to become the bottom. Eugene Victor Debs, a guy that I'm sure Peace Pilgrim must have uh, heard about with the things she was involved in because he was kind of around the, and I'm bad with years, but maybe 20s or 30s, um, a socialist who actually ran for president from from a prison cell. Um, But he's known as saying, you know, as long as there's a lower class, I am in it. As long as there's a criminal element. I am of it. As long as there is a soul in prison, I am not free. He was saying, he had, you've got to identify with the bottom, not help the bottom, but be the bottom. That's where you can help. Mm-hmm. Jesus did that too. Story after story of Jesus going around the whores and lepers, not from his castle. I mean, he's the only son of God, according to the Christian faith. He could have had everything, right? He didn't. He was as poor as anybody. Walked around in his sandals or barefoot or whatever in his robes, you know, just traveling around traveling very light. We see it with Gandhi. We see it with Buddha. And we see it again with Peace Pilgrim. She gave up everything. This woman, who wants more than anything to give her life to peace, to help people, she could have decided, I'm going to save up a lot of money and try to like donate to all the charitable causes I get I could. But she didn't. She decided, I'm going to give up everything and show people how good being poor could be. I love what she says about a need level. She talks about, I realized when i was young because she said she was pretty well to do for a while she had you know a lot of the luxury she was doing doing good but she wasn't happy there was this growing sense of like this doesn't feel right how can i have too much when other people don't have what they need and that led her to feel to to decide to take her life to a need level and when she asked herself what do i truly need well that led her to walk around the country in nothing but a tunic and you know, with her one outfit and tennis shoes and what she could carry in that little tunic. Holy crap. And (laughs) I love how she tells people like, now your need level might not be what my need level is. She says, you might have a family like most people and your need level because of your children is going to look different from my need level. But your need level is probably a whole lot less than what you think it is right now. Mm -hmm. And the less, you know, consider what is behind having more than you need it's the fear it's the fear that you might not have enough tomorrow that you might not have enough today that you might not be able to compete with the 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 joneses that your kids might hate you because you're making them live like a pauper when everybody else is living like a prince she let go of that fear and that faith led her to live at a need level absolute minimalism This woman is such a role model. I hate to gush so much, but, uh, and I'm going to talk about things I disagree with her a little bit later in this podcast. I'm not a follower of the Peace Pilgrim. And yet, I don't have to follow everything she says to just revere what she did. Because when I've tried to live at what I thought was a need level, it was hard. And my need level, what I thought was my need level, looked nowhere. It was like, carrying around a house on my back compared to what she did, so right on Peace Pilgrim.
1: Yeah, and <clears throat> Gumby had said before, like, you can see how her AT Appalachian Trail experience...
0: Go ahead. I just realized I got a little more to say, but jump in there. I want to talk about that.
1: Oh, okay. Um, may have influenced her minimalist choices as the Peace Pilgrim, um, because she only had that one outfit, like her her slacks, her blue, dark navy blue slacks, her tunic They said Peace Pilgrim and whatever message was current on the back. And in her tunic, she had uh, sewed pockets at the bottom. And what I remember is she carried a comb, a toothbrush, and some pamphlets that would help introduce her to people because she never really wanted to come up and say, Hi, I'm Peace Pilgrim. She wanted people to approach her.
0: And I really like that because when I was hitchhiking, I found something similar. You know, I didn't want to go up to people and ask them for a ride. That felt intrusive. I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they had a bad day, and the last thing they want Mm -hmm. is somebody asking them something right then. So I'd sit there with my cardboard sign, so I feel like I kind of get where she was coming from with that. You know, put the sign out. Instead of her having a cardboard sign, she had a tunic. But it's an invitation rather than an intrusion.
1: And Gumby had asked me the other day, like, man, I wish I had remembered, like, what she said about uh, bathing. And so I looked it up, and I believe it's in, where did I see that? Oh, shoot. I think it might be in the book, um, because I poured through some interviews that she has like audio transcripts of on that Friends of Peace Pilgrim website, but I think it's in the book. But she basically just went to a river, stream, creek, no soap, because it strips the natural oils from your skin, those are her words, um, and she would wash up kind of like how me and Gumby are doing most of the time, and without having a natural body of water, she would go to like a public restroom and wash up, and now remember, she was a nudist, so I don't know exactly if she took all her clothes off (laughs) in the bathroom, or if she just like took turns of washing whatever item needed to be washed, but Um, She was very practical, like I said, just a few items in her pocket. She wouldn't even take extra postage stamps. If somebody was offering her, like, I've got a whole book of stamps. She's like, I only need three. Thank you very much. I'm not going to carry any extra. Um, But if you've ever been backpacking, you can understand how you start to realize, like, you know, I thought I was going to need this. I don't. I thought I was going to need that. I really don't. Because every ounce of everything, not only like weighs you down physically but it also has this psychological connection to it like you have to worry about if you stash your pack somewhere is that small little thing going to be stolen
0: yeah and another thing that you told me about the way she bathed is she said if I can't get my clothes completely dry I just put them on and walk with them wet (laughs) and then they dry and to me there's things about peace pilgrim you know going back to that personal power the Carlos Castaneda stuff that I don't know, that are hard to explain. And people that talked about Peace Pilgrim, I know one one group that went with her to Hawaii. Are you going to talk about that, the flower? No, go ahead. Okay, so, and there's so many stories out there. Please, if any of this uh, interests you, go read the book, which all this stuff is for free because the people that call themselves Friends of Peace Pilgrim that were inspired by her when she was alive... Wanted to stay true to her spirit, just like we're trying to stay true to her spirit in this podcast. And they're giving away all kinds of cool shit for free. Book, her (laughs) pamphlet, and this stuff is moving. There's so many stories, but I just want to share one right now. So she started having groups. She went to Alaska with one group. I'll talk about
1: that one later.
0: Okay. And to uh, Hawaii with another group. But there are stories about her that don't fit in what we think of as reality. For instance, other people I've heard were getting bothered by mosquitoes at one point. She was completely unbothered. It wasn't that they were seemed to be biting her and she wasn't bothered, but people said that they wouldn't bite her. And I've yeah. heard that story over and over from mm-hmm. all kinds of shamans, that they aren't bothered by insects. The insects, it's like they have a, uh, a political immunity among the insects <laughs> or something. There's also the story of her going to sleep on the beach on Hawaii, and she wakes up and everybody notices there's this flower, this bright yellow flower that bloomed right by her head. This is on a beach. There was a a picture in one of the documentaries. It's a stone cold beach. It's not like, oh, some woods near the beach, sand, sand, just one flower right by her head. And they're like, oh my God, peace pilgrim, look, this flower just bloomed by your head. And she looked and she smiled and she shrugged and she said, well, everything has a rational explanation and just walked off. So story after story about that. And to me, These little things she does that don't make sense to me in my reality are windows to something I don't understand, something that kind of tickles my my consciousness. Like, for instance, even walking with wet clothes. If I did that, I would get a bitch of a rash. (laughs) That was one of the things I was curious about, how she bathed, because I wanted to get some practical, you know, uh, um, tips, because we're trying to live somewhat similar I mean maybe compared to other people not not doing what she did but we bathe in rivers and everything <laughs> so I'm like how does she do it and she says she puts on wet clothes and walks something reality is treating her differently than it treats me <laughs> and you laugh but like that yeah. is a valid thing something's happening there because same thing with you Teresa you say like you sweat in your clothes you get a rash we both had rashes
1: oh yeah tub rub.
0: we could not do that we could not do what Peace Pilgrim did reality is different for her She's not having faith in our reality. Her faith opens up a doorway into another reality. I mean, there's something really deep going on there with this woman. Um, you know, I've heard other people say, like, "Wow, when I met her, you know, I tried to dismiss her as a nut, but after listening to her for a few hours, I was like, this is a mystic. This is a modern mystic. I don't even know what a mystic is, but something's different about this woman." And that's one of the things that I notice when I when I start reading about Peace Pilgrim. Yeah, and... Oh, sorry. Uh (laughs) And I didn't even get to the damn thing that I wanted to get to before. All right, I'll try to make this quick. (laughs) So, the freedom of what she did. Another thing I wanted to talk about, ownership being a burden. So, we are having a lot of van problems right now.
1: Oh, (laughs) yeah.
0: Uh, We are having, like, these little things that are piling up, like we're having misfires in the engine that's making the check engine light like blink on and off and then the, the engine will start like kicking and kicking and kicking and I just put some fuel injection cleaner in there this morning and hopefully that'll fix it and if it doesn't we'll have to you know take it from there sometimes I turn the key lately like this has happened like at least once a day lately nothing happens I got to get out and like I've tried to replace the terminal the battery terminals and next thing we're going to do is the coke trick that cleans out your battery terminals but anyway One of the things Peace Pilgrim said is everything you own is a burden. It owns you back. Yeah. And I felt like how perfect that we're about to talk about this woman that said that. And the universe seems to be showing us, like, emphasizing that, highlighting it, underlining. Like, you know, you guys are keeping this van and it's a resource. You know, I'm thankful for the van. But isn't it also a burden? Like, how much of this beautiful natural world am I, like, driving through thinking about, I hope the van doesn't mess up? Hmm. When Peace Pilgrim walked through it. She didn't miss a damn tree, she didn't miss a bird. So, I don't know, I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing happened in our happening in our lives right now that was sort of a a neat parallel to that. All right, that's what I wanted to say. Damn it, I said it.
1: Are you sure? No. <sighs> All right. Well, at any rate, I I agree that Peace Pilgrim was walking in some kind of grace in some kind of just like beautiful place, no matter what was going on, it's, she really did have a connection with something more spiritual. Um, And in that Steps Toward Inner Peace pamphlet that she wrote, uh, it talks, it, it gives a lot of really good information. I think something that shows up again and again in her interviews is she felt like the world was a reflection. So, if she gave smiles then she would get smiles in return
0: and she said when she was in school she learned very on if you want to have friends you've got to be friendly
1: yeah and she wasn't religious she she didn't um belong to a religious family growing up but her family did kind of instill the golden rule in her and she just thought like wow how great is that like do unto others as you would like to be done yourself (laughs) oh yeah and okay, I made it sound, you made it sound dirty, dirty. Um, but no, but she, she really took, and you were saying like taking the good messages or she, you said something earlier about like, you might come across stuff that, you know, this works for you and this doesn't. And she said that too, like take the good out of life, whether that's the good experiences or like the good teachings. And so she took that golden rule or like the, the spirit of the golden rule and really applied that in her life.
0: Yeah, so something that I feel like I've heard it so much from her that I think if if she were here and I were to ask her, if you could boil down your message to one sentence, what do you think it would be? And I feel like her one sentence that she said over and over was, overcome evil with good, falsehood with truth, and hatred with love. Now that's so simplified, I almost find it naive. You know, I hear that and I kind of want to roll my eyes. But on the other hand, if I think about it, most of the time, you know, I can get in a philosophical discussion, and I often do, that there is no evil or good. It depends on where you stand. But in the moment, I got to admit, I kind of have a sense of things that feel evil, that feel wrong. I know when I'm doing something that at least is questionable, and I also know when there's something I can do that is good, that feels like the right thing, and how often I struggle with that. You know, that simple message, it's her version of the golden rule. You know, truth. Like, again, I get in a lot of philosophical discussions about, well, what is truth? And there's a valid exploration there. But at the same time, I feel like it's an aspiration. If I try to be true, I don't try to hold anything back. I don't try to lie to get an advantage. I don't try to lie to make myself look good. I just, you know, am absolutely honest and true what would that do to my life? So that one sentence, I feel like it's her message boiled down. Um, She also talks about giving priority to all of the good things you're motivated to do over the superficial things. And I know Teresa was really, uh, like, that spoke to her, Mm, because a lot of times we get in discussions about, like, Teresa says, I'm not doing, like, this thing I want to be doing. I wish I did yoga every morning, and I had an exercise routine in the past, and And I asked Teresa, well, why do you, instead of doing that, like, make the bed? Why are you, like, doing all the chores? They're going to get done. You just jump on them first. (laughs) And the reason why you're there to jump on them is because, you know, I'm working on making a priority of going to do my meditation, my sit spot, my exercises, whatever. So I think Teresa maybe struggles with that a little more than me, but we both struggle with that. And what an important message for all of us. Like, if there's something to be done, something that, like, is the spice of life that's important, why isn't that a priority? All this other crap? Let it get done. It doesn't mean you neglect it. It doesn't mean your house looks like a pigsty because you want to do all, all that, you know, you want to do. It just means that you prioritize things to make sure that stuff that you care about gets done, that motivation, that top priority. It's so easy to get bogged down in chores and minutiae, and I feel like our culture really lends itself to that because, you know, a lot of times the chores and minutiae are the products that we can buy. Good. Um, yet another distraction on its way. Um, including mundane. What did you mean, Monday life and the life pet Well, just the, the life chores. Pattern? Okay, yeah. I think and, she talks about, and she talks about how to... Oh, no. I'm you still sure. in my stuff. So, let me talk over this dog barking. Um, She talks about... Um, like really living Not not just being on the surface of things Like a surface liver as she calls it Like she says there's a, f- a froth of life And most of us live there She says get deep into it Be honest, like be fearless And I really like that You know, live in capital letters Let go of that fear Don't just like try to get by Try to survive, live
1: Yeah, uh, sorry about that everybody There's just constant like drama here but what Gumby was saying, I was just going to add that it doesn't bring me any peace to do all these mundane chores. In fact, it Gumby says, like, I think it's just building up resentment, and it, and it is. I mean, truthfully, I feel like in the moment it might bring me peace because that thing is done um, logically. You know, like if it's the cooler part of the day, I just want to go ahead and get as much movement stuff done as possible. Especially when we're in the uh, desert, but yeah. So that kind of brings me to the first part of what uh, the preparations were that Peace Pilgrim mentioned in her pamphlet. And I think Gummy might have started to get into this because my handwriting is bad. And no, I didn't. oh, really? Live, stop being a surface liver. Yeah. Oh. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, the first one of oh, her preparations was right attitude toward life and what Gumby was saying, really live, stop being a surface liver, not the organ, but really try not to escape life, really live it. Um, the second one was bring our lives into harmony with the laws that govern this universe. The third, find your unique special place in the life pattern. And that was also speaking to how Peace Pilgrim was saying, you know, everyone's basic needs are different. Like if you are a householder, if you're, you know, raising a family, your needs are going to be different than someone that doesn't have a family. And she recognized
0: that. And I like that right attitude toward life. To me, that speaks to uh, recognize it's short, it's brief, it's a gift. Um And the number two, bring our lives into harmony with the laws that govern this universe. To me, that's a recognition of natural law. You know, like just our whole culture is based on breaking the laws that govern the universe, which is why we're in the state we're in. Um, To me, like that need level, you know, like there's enough here for us, for us to have. It's, It's breaking those laws that gets us into trouble.
1: Okay, so the third one was our unique special place in the life pattern. And then the last one of her preparations that she listed was simplification of life, which I think is simple enough that it speaks for itself. Um, So, yeah, like these things she thought about, meditated on, however you want to say it, for a long time. And she also worked on purifications. These were of body, purification of body, purification of thought. And I have something to, uh, to add to that later. Purification of desire and purification of motive. And the thing I wanted to add was I really liked this um, one particular thing she wrote. And I'm trying to bring it up on technology. And Gumby says, don't do that. Okay, it's uh, magic formula. She said, there is a magic formula for resolving conflicts. It's this. Have as your objective the resolving of the conflict, not the gaining of advantage. There's a magic formula also for avoiding conflict. It's this. Be concerned that you do not offend, not that you are not offended. And I really liked that because I think what we're getting at is why add complications to to life? I mean, like the minivan. Oh, I just want to have it, like, fixed because every single time there's a problem. I mean, we even had to replace the, uh, the lift arms on the back door of the minivan. I mean, it's just little thing after little thing. And if we were just walking, if we had purified and prepared ourselves, which, I mean, I'm saying I'm not ready to do that quite yet, but I am think I'm getting closer. Like every time we run into problems, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I was just walking. But then again, if you were stuck in the desert and the way it way it's was
0: going, I think <clears throat> the van is going to take care of that for us.
1: Yeah. All right, so I did the preparations and purifications.
0: Yeah, and the relinquishments, and we're just kind of blasting through some kind of bullet points of her message to honor her, because I think she would um, like that, because like I said, she it, it wasn't about her, it was about her message, and her little pamphlet that she wrote herself involves these things we're talking about right now, so she also talked about relinquishments. Number one, relinquish self-will, refrain from not good things, so... In other words, I mean, there's a lot in that gray area you might not know, but there's a few things I'm sure that you do that if you're honest with yourself, you know you shouldn't do. They take up time. They are, you don't need them. They have a heavy cost on the earth, um, but just starting to let that go. Two, feelings of separateness. Whew, boy, our culture really exploits this. It makes you feel like you're all on your own. Like you better get your job and and work and and have your social security because when you get old nobody's gonna give a damn about you and you better hope the government's taking care of you. Or you're gonna wind up in some like ratty ass old folks home. <laughs> you know, our culture is over and over and over in in our music, and our in our media is telling us you're on your own. She's saying Relinquish that, that feeling of separateness. You are connected to everything. Your fate is shared by all. And we've gotten a taste of this that we talk about when you make yourself vulnerable, the best people pop out of the woodwork. When we hitchhike, we run into like golden people. People are willing to go so far out of their way to help us. I can only imagine how many golden people she ran into. And uh, oh, by the way, on her pilgrimage, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So let me make sure we talk about this on her pilgrimage. One of the reasons why she didn't carry food or any kind of bedding or anything is she she said, I will eat when someone offers me food. I will sleep when someone offers me a bed. She said most of the time, like she never went for more than four meals when she wanted to eat, um, without somebody offering her food. Most of the time people would offer her food. She never asked for it. She would sleep in a bed, Very often. And if she didn't, she'd sleep in a bus stop or even in a ditch beside the road. And she said it was all the same to her, that power of faith. You know, she could be thankful for anything. There's a great story where a guy arrests her, a a cop for vagrancy. She gets put (laughs) in jail. most of us would be like, what the fuck? You know, I'm out here for peace. I wasn't doing anything wrong. A Fucking (laughs) asshole. (laughs) Not peace, Pilgrim. She was like, oh, the universe, you know, has a reason for me to be in this cell. Here's this other woman in this cell. I must need to talk peace with her. Oh, here's the sheriff. I don't have any animosity to him. If he has done anything wrong, it's because he doesn't understand. And maybe this is the hand of God working through him. I'll talk to him about peace. So (laughs) this woman ended up apparently having a criminal record. So but it didn't faze her a bit. Um, and I love that just, you know, I got faith. This is what makes her a pilgrim and not a, a tramp as in like, you know, super tramp as in a hobo. (laughs) She's a pilgrim because she has faith that the universe will take care of her and damn if it didn't, she didn't go out there and ask for anything. Although (laughs) one person said she had a way of making her, her needs known. Like (laughs) she would kind of say like, Oh, I sure would like to write some postcards. Um, but, you know, maybe I'll find some postcards somewhere along the way. <laughs> so, of course, people would be like, oh, I can get you some postcards. Here's some postcards. Um, feeling of separateness. Number three, the, the third relinquishment, all attachments. Now, this was a really neat one. All attachments to anything you possess. So we've talked at length about that, and she embodies that well. But also people. Think about, you know, the burden that we place on people by trying to possess them. You might have a partner and you have expectations of that partner. You have kind of rules that you guys might not talk about in these terms, but there are things your partner can do that would break these rules that you don't want to be their partner anymore. You have restricted their freedom. You're trying to possess them. You might have a dog, you might have I mean there's all kinds of way we do this to, to living things. So she includes that with the possessions. Don't make a possession out of people. Don't objectify Anything, and I think, wow, like you know, think about two people that don't do that to each other at all. I'm okay with you walking your path. I'm walking my path, and we're not trying to possess each other. That is a powerful relinquishment.
1: And she also mentioned like parents to children and vice versa.
0: Yeah, that's a big one, and vice versa too. Yeah, we as kids, we're always you know expecting our parents like, oh, they did this to me. Oh, they did that to me. Oh, they they didn't do this enough. They were human. So we try to possess them and fit them in a mold that maybe they don't belong in. And uh, getting late on time. So number four, relinquishment, negative feelings. Um, And that to me just sounds like an ongoing practice. Notice when they come up, mindfulness and just keep trying to let them go. Like, well, how can I look at this in a positive thing? Because she talks about people that she met that have chronic illnesses She said once she went on her pilgrimage, she had headaches and got sick before that. But in the 28 years when she was her oldest and out there in the weather, you know, you would think she'd be living the roughest life. She said she never got sick, never had a headache. And she credits it to positive thinking, to looking to the bright side of things because she believes that our illnesses come from resentments to bitterness to negative feelings that we hold on to and they express themselves through our body. So that was another thing that kind of blew me away.
1: I'll make this really quick because I do want to... try to be at least around an hour's time so I wouldn't
0: try to rush it we're gonna this isn't gonna be a part two
1: well peace pilgrim um, in a different spiritual retreat she agreed to speak with people um, in Alaska and people wanted to experience how she lived on faith and this is really strange I mean it's kind of like I don't know like there's just not really a way to translate that but She did it anyways, you know, she was like showing people around almost like a sightseeing tour, and people were like, you know, peace, can we uh can we get a little bit more spirituality? And she's like, Oh, oh, sure. So it was getting late, and uh a couple people were getting a little antsy as to where they were gonna sleep that night, okay? So we're trying to live on faith. And they get to a place that's maybe like this rest stop, like it's around a lake and there's places to sleep, but it says no camping. And So people are like, well, peace, we can't sleep here. And she's like, oh, sure we can. It doesn't say no sleeping. It says no camping. And I just thought that was awesome because um, it's not that she's a, I mean, she is kind of a badass, but it's not that so much as like, let's just look at what is offered to us. There is a place to sleep. We're not taking anything more. And then somebody went up to like the, whatever the park ranger or wherever they were at and they were like um excuse me um is it possible for us to camp overnight here and the person's like uh no and then they went back like a tattletale and told peace pilgrim like see I told you we couldn't sleep here and she's like oh why did you do that like you're interfering with the faith like you're of course that person has to say we can't sleep here because that's their job so Gumby there was a something that you were going to just mention briefly
0: Yeah. So in line with that, following the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. um, uh, Yeah. I think that kind of says it. I mean, (laughs) it's just, you know, she, me, I'm more of an anarchist. I'm not Peace Pilgrim. I believe in just breaking laws and like, you know, I'll talk more about some of my differences with Peace Pilgrim, but I like the way she tried to respect the law, you know, like, These are coming from good places. She tried to look for the good in people. And like this law was probably made by people with good intentions. So I'm going to look at the spirit of it. And sometimes that doesn't match the letter of the law. So I'm not going to get bogged down in the letter of the law. So I like that she was kind of a rebel without trying to be, as as Teresa said, a badass. It wasn't like an angry rebel, uh, you know, a uh,
1: rock and roll.
0: Yeah, an instigating (laughs) rock and roll. I hate the bloody queen. She wasn't that kind of rebel. But she was a rebel.
1: And Europe.
0: Huh? Oh, that's right. I'm reading our list wrong. I keep thinking, yeah. I don't get a G by my comments. No. So, all right, here's my differences with Peace Pilgrim and again, I admire this woman as much as I admire any human being because of what she did and how dedicated she did it. But I feel like since I'm the one that happens to be doing this podcast, I got to bring a little bit of myself into it because there's a plenty of stuff out there from her. So, here's my differences with Peace Pilgrim. Just questioning stuff, stuff that if she was here, I would love to talk to her, her about it. For one thing, I think she, if she was still alive, she died in 1981, as we said, I believe she'd still be true to her message. I think she was that dedicated to it, even though the world has changed drastically. Um, I would say peace. I'd say, look at the world now. You know, do you think your message worked? I mean, it obviously affected some individuals, but we're losing species 150 to 200 a day. We're losing, I've heard it said, two football fields worth of forest every second. At what point do we decide that just walking around and talking about peace with people isn't working? thats is there an appropriate time to fight? And I believe there is. I believe this is um, something that what Daniel Quinn would call Lever cultures, what other people might call indigenous cultures, they understood. There's a season for violence. Violence is not something completely taboo. I believe it is a tool. There is a time to pick it up. And I think the time is now that we need to fight for what's left because it's going. And we've had so many wonderful people trying peace. And I think that was good. That was the thing to do before violence. And it hasn't worked. It's time to move on to something else. So that's a difference I have with Peace Pilgrim. Um... Yeah, but nothing to take away from her pilgrimage, you know. I don't. I wouldn't try to convince her. I would be so sad if like I talked to her and then she picked up a gun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think she is doing did exactly what she should have done. Um, yeah, and again, this hesitation, like. I would question a lot of people I admire. I admire Derek Jensen, but I'd question him. I'd critique him. You He's, do question him. I do question him. <laughs> uh, Daniel Quinn. A lot of a lot of people. I, I'd Shit, I'd probably question Gandhi. But there's something about Peace Pilgrim that, um, I don't know, I hesitate to question her. So every time I, I bring up something I disagree with her on, I kind of feel like I got to like, but I don't want her to, you know, I wouldn't want to convince her of anything. I wouldn't want her to change a bit. Um, I don't
1: think you would change her either, though, because she was on such a... She was just living in that
0: grace. Yeah. She had her own grace, and I feel like she embodies something I don't fully understand that might transcend. I've got to work with what I understand, so I'm on a different path for now. Maybe one day, you know, I'll come back around more towards what she's doing, but I would be... To try to follow her path with the information I have and with the feelings I have would be wrong for me at the moment. Another thing is what's our responsibility? I feel like we are of the culture that's destroying the earth, and it's our responsibility to stop the destroyers, not to hope for the best, not to be optimistic, not to just work on our inner peace and hope that it affects the people around us. Um, I often make the metaphor, if, if there's 200 species dying a day, these are our kin. This is something that... Indigenous people teach us. And I believe it. These are our kin. We're all in this together. And I think Peace Pilgrim would agree with me on that. So if somebody shot your mother today, blew her head off right in front of you, bam, and they said, I'm going to shoot your brother tomorrow, would you just hope for the best? Would you pray to God? Or would you try to jump on that person and take their gun away? I believe it's time to take the gun away. And to me, that's a physical act. Um, So that's something I differ with Peace Pilgrim on, and I would be interested to talk with her about it. Um, another thing, idea that I've heard her say that I disagree with is she wished, I think this is towards the end of her book, actually, um, not the one she wrote, but the one that was kind of written about her that was, I think like using her words. So it was kind of compiling different things she said into Mm -hmm. a book, The Peace Pilgrim. Um, she suggested it would be nice if we all shared a common language because she was frustrated probably when she went to Mexico that she wanted to talk with people about peace And there was a language barrier. So she was like, that's one thing I wish we had was like, maybe we could all share a common language. To me, that's not part of my vision. I like diversity. I imagine a world, um, my ideal for a world is a lot like it was in the distant past, that we're different, diverse cultures, that we have our own languages, our own ceremonies, our own ways, that maybe if somebody like Peace Pilgrim came through, we would honor them as an honored guest. We would speak to them as best we could, share the pipe, whatever our custom was, but that we didn't need a Messiah. None of these places, as Daniel Quinn points out, none of these tribes needed a Messiah. Nobody had to teach them how to live. It's only our screwed up culture that we're so lost that we welcome the Jesuses, the Buddhas. We need somebody to teach us how to live. We don't know how to do it. So, yeah, I don't know if that means I have a better understanding of things than peace pilgrim if she has a better understanding or even if that's irrelevant but it is a definite difference in our philosophies so i just wanted to say that stuff not to bring peace pilgrim down but just to be true to myself that i am not a follower of peace pilgrim and yet i hope she inspires you and there is so much to be learned from this woman Mm -hmm.
1: Um, take the good
0: yeah we need people like peace pilgrim so if i say things like i just said you know about fighting and that does not speak to you That is not the only way to escape society, which is one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast on Peace Pilgrim. We want to show you another way someone has so thoroughly escaped society, and Mm -hmm. she did it with such grace, no violence. So if that speaks to you more, God, we could probably use a lot of people like that out there too.
1: Oh, and I really liked that. It was such a natural segue because um, there's this thing I want to read, again, from her pamphlet, Steps Toward Inner Peace. Oh, yeah. What
0: was that one quote that we were so excited about? I haven't seen it on the list. Well, here it is. I'm about to read. I'm going to
1: read the whole thing. Um, Hopefully, you can follow along here. So this is under the, the heading, The Most Valuable Things. After a wonderful sojourn in the wilderness, I walk again the streets of a city, which was my home a while. It is 1 p.m. Hundreds of neatly dressed human beings with pale or painted faces are hurrying in rather orderly lines to and from their places of employment. I, in my faded shirt and well-worn slacks, walk among them. The rubber soles of my soft canvas shoes move noiselessly along beside the clatter of trim, tight shoes with high heels. In the poorer section, I am tolerated. In the wealthier sections, some glances seem a bit startled and some are disdainful. On both sides of us, as we walk, are displayed the things which we can buy if we are willing to stay in the orderly lines day after day, year after year. Some of the things are more or less useful. Many are utter trash. Some have a claim to beauty. Many are garishly ugly. Thousands of things are displayed, and yet the most valuable things are missing. Freedom is not displayed, nor health, nor happiness, nor peace of mind. To obtain these, my friends, you too may need to escape from the orderly lines and risk being looked upon disdainfully. I love that line. Oh, yeah. So that right there, I am like, peace? Right on. Like, she was a deep thinker. She experienced something that I can only hope to touch. But, yeah, I I really loved that quote. She really nailed it. And, yeah, any other closing thoughts?
0: Well, I think that reading you just did was kind of the perfect way to end this. Uh, (laughs) I guess the only thing I'd say is just once again encourage you to find out more information. Uh, There's so many more stories about her we couldn't get to at all. And it's all free, so you're honoring her by um, getting this free information. People are happy to send it to you because you will probably, I would bet you're going to be moved (laughs) by something, and you're going to talk about this woman. So, what a great way to honor her.
1: And I already put a link on our website um, for movies and documentaries for the Peace Pilgrim. But I think I might add, there's two documentaries. One is something that they made a little bit, I don't know, like 2000s. Um, and the other one was made in 1995-ish. And I really like the first one better. Um, it. I think it shows a little bit more information, um, instead of just interviews with like the Dalai Lama and actors and writers and stuff. So yeah, check that out. There's, there's documentaries, there's audio transcripts. There's plenty of YouTube videos of her talking, which you can see in her eyes and in her face, just like, I mean, even on video, you can see the, yeah,
0: you got to see her talking. Like just, (laughs) you know, I, I read her book a long time before I saw one of the interviews, the way she uses her hands and the way she enunciates is like a joy to watch her. She's like, a, a sprightly little girl i mean <laughs> it's just like really hilarious and like inspiring she's she's worth watching
1: so i'll um i'll try to put a link on our facebook page escaping society but if you don't happen to use facebook just google peace pilgrim and check out the friends of peace pilgrim website they've got so many resources um yeah our website escapingsociety.weebly.com And we are always thankful for any comments or questions or suggestions that you have. So contact us there. And thank you so much.